welcome. You're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be your sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing sips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We have everyone here, Sarah, Charlotte, Kelly, Paige, and myself, Katie. And today we're going to talk to you about something that can typically be a huge headache if you don't have a lot of experience, and that's redesigning websites. So marketers are not website developers or designers, but oftentimes people think we are, and that typically falls under our plate if um, you're working at a larger company and a website is part of your marketing strategy. So when it's time to redesign your website, you might be asking yourself, what's the process? How do you get started? And other questions along those lines. So between the Wine and Whiteboards team and our designer Paige, who's done some websites for freelance, we have about eight under our belt. And we have some rather expensive mistakes we've made, and we want to help you avoid those. So we've worked on a bunch of different website platforms like WordPress, Squarespace, Wix, Weebly, and even some custom coded sites. So hopefully we'll be able to give you some tips today that'll help you save some time and money and a lot of those headaches that might come from a project that is this big and time consuming and costly. So some of those questions that we might answer for you are, why is redesigning a website important? How often should you redesign? Where do you get started? And what are the steps? We've identified 10. So if everyone's ready, we can go ahead, grab a glass of wine, and dive in. So Katie, Uh, what are you drinking? Yeah, Yeah. Katie is actually back right now with drinking real wine. Yes, this is the first episode of Wine and Whiteboards I can actually drink real wine in. Yay! (laughs) Cheers! Um, Today I'm drinking a Pinot Grigio. It's not my first glass of wine postpartum. Sorry, I didn't share that with you guys. That would have been probably fun. And it's Coppola. Never had it before. Got it at uh, Papa Joe's fruit market down the street. <laughs> um, but it's pretty good so far. Katie, is that the Francis Coppola? That one? Yeah. I've had some of those. Those are good. At least I always find them at Kroger and things like that. And I feel like they're under the like $10 price range or so. So mm-hmm. anyways. Yep. This week I'm drinking, this is Sarah, and I'm drinking a regional wine. It's called Big Paw Red. It's from northern Michigan, and it's from Chateau Fontaine. You guys can't see it, but there's a little label that has a puppy dog head, but like a human body where he's holding a gun, um, which is kind of interesting. It's a local artist rendition. So on the back, they talk about the dog's name is Nick, and he loves to run in the vineyards chasing the birds away from the grapes. And he hopes that you'll enjoy this red blend. Um, It's not too dry and it's not too sweet. And it's got his little personal message. So it's one of my favorite semi-dry table red wines. I love the illustration. It's so darn cute. I feel like that would get me to buy their wine if they have a dog on the label. I'm sold. And a dog at their vineyard, right? Like a dog in general sells things. (laughs) There's another vineyard up in Traverse City that has a dog theme to it. 
Bauer Harbor or yes. Bowers? Yes. Yeah. Is it because of the dog man? I think that's why Bowers Harbor does it. Legend okay. of the Dog Man. I'm not going to go into it now, but people can research it. But there's claimed to be sightings of this legend, cre- urban legend creature, the Dog Man at Bowers Harbor. Oh, th- we were just told that there's a dog, and every year, like whatever, he's <laughs> oh. like on the label. <laughs> so it's only like on the label. you can pet him when you're up there. <laughs> I love Charlotte. Oh. Totally yeah. off topic. The dog is creepy. Like he's supposed to have like red eyes and be able to like look in a window, so you see like a dog head, but the body of a man, and it's just really scary. I never want to be the dog man. Maybe we'll drop a link on this story in the uh... <laughs> about the dog in the description. <laughs> it's like so an weird. urban legend up there, and they talk about sightings at Bowers Harbor, which is why I thought maybe you were talking about that. Gotcha. But apparently, I was wrong. Um, well, I am drinking a Riesling from Bry's um, because, again, last time we talked about it where I was drinking their Pinot Noir and uh, Riesling mix because I had to buy a box, you know, of wine to be shipped down to me. So I kind of got a little, I got a lot of wine that are going to be coming from Breeze when we hear <laughs> Bry's Breeze, whatever, because I had to fill up my box being shipped here. But it's pretty delicious. So what you're saying is you have a ton of wine because you just got a box there and then you also have the First Leap subscription? Yeah, I'm kind of stocking up for winter, I guess. I'm like, a, like a chipmunk or something, but it's wine. So coincidentally, uh, Kelly and I actually got the First Leap subscription around the same time. And the reason I got it is because one of my freelance gigs asked us to do market research. We were kind of exploring doing other subscription boxes and they wanted to see like the experience factor of what others do. So I thought that was kind of cool. They asked us to buy a subscription one-off from another company, and I decided to do wine because, of course. And I really like it so far. So I think that was kind of cool. I did like six bottles, came within like a couple days. I was able to customize pretty much everything. So I'm a happy camper. That's awesome. So I'm drinking another Michigan wine. I actually had the opportunity to stop at their vineyard when I was on vacation a couple weeks ago. I am drinking Mobby Red, and that's red with two Ds. It's a sparkling red, and it's a semi-sweet. It's very good. It has, like, hints of berries and apple, and it's fruitier. Um, It's very good. I don't know if I've tried a sparkling red before. Oh, it's good. It's really dark. It's like a, um, it's a deep red, but not like a, not like a burgundy, but it's like a brighter dark red, if that makes sense. Huh. Well, we're going to go and visit there um, in a couple weeks, so I'll have to take a little taste. <laughs> You'll have to get the red. It's very good. So with that, we can probably go ahead and jump in now that we know what everybody's drinking and start talking about redesigning websites. Um, so I guess first off, why is redesigning your website important? Well, a website is really the face of your company. It's what people see when they search you and look for your organization. Um, and when some, it's often what people find first, and it's it's basically your first impression. You want to look legit, and you want to look credible. And we recommend redesigning your website about every three to five years, just to make sure it's up to date with current trends. There's always a lot of things that change, design trends change, color schemes change. So as a designer, I can always tell when a website is outdated and needs to be looked at again. And one of the biggest thing is being mobile responsive. When I started at our company, that was one of my first initiatives was to kind of update the website and make sure that those things were ready to go because we were going to do new branding. There was some things that needed to be updated for a new market, a lot of that kind of thing. 
I was thinking it was funny that we were redesigning the website when Paige joined, but we were also redesigning the website when Charlotte joined, which was like, I don't know how many years before Paige, three, four, five, which shows yeah. that rule of thumb. When you first have the impression of a website, it's super important. People are very visual and we actually do judge a book by its cover. And in this case, it is a website. So I actually have some fun stats that I pulled if you guys uh, are interested to hear because I'm a stat nerd. So my favorite one is that 94% of first impressions are because of a website design. And that kind of shows a lot of the credibility with your website. What is up with your guys' faces? I'm sorry, we're laughing because Katie dropped a dogman link in the chat. And it's oh. Who's not a good boy? <laughs> Who's not a good boy? Dogman. Oh, we'll share it with everybody. Before you said, before we can get into like some stats, because I wanted to be, we're all about the data. Face. <laughs> <laughs> Who's editing this episode? They're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> no, they're not editing that. They're going to leave that. We're going to leave the Dogman link. We're going to leave Kate, Kelly's song because it's fun and entertaining. And I hope whoever's listening to this is enjoying it very much. Super excited to edit this. Sorry, Paige. Please continue. I'm really trying here, guys. <laughs> um, okay. So a poorly designed website really loses credibility and trust with your audience pretty darn quick. I'm one of those people that when I search a website and I see it hasn't probably been updated in like five to 10 years, I actually exit out. I don't even take a look because it kind of turns me off. And I know I'm a little judgy on that part, but I am a designer and I kind of respect it. And I, I think there's a lot to design. Sorry, so I actually experienced this the other day when I was looking up who to vote for for our local prosecutor. I went to this guy's website and it was like awful. It was awful. And I literally was like, this person clearly doesn't know how to hire or outsource somebody or like do something to make this look like legitimate. His website literally made me not want to vote for him. I feel like the only businesses, and I guess I don't even know if they're necessarily businesses that get a pass on a crappy website, are like doctor's offices or like dentist offices i just feel like those are always old but that's not their primary focus and as long as you can like help me stay healthy then i'll give you a free pass on it but i feel like those are always the worst but i tend to let them slide a little bit but if you're a tech company and they're still having an issue with the website then you need to get on top of that well and i'm clearly not the only one because one of the other stats that i pulled was that 38 percent will actually stop browsing your website if it's unattractive so, I mean, there's power in that data right there. I'm surprised it's as low as 38%. I thought it would be higher. Maybe it's because of the marketers and designers, we kind of think it's maybe a little higher than, than it is, but yeah. So you wanna make sure that your design and your first impression stands out because you don't wanna have someone come to your site and then completely turn away and go to your competitor because you're, it's outdated and it's not working properly. So that is a really important step. And the next one that I would say is making sure it's mobile friendly. Because let's be real, if your site is not mobile friendly yet, you really need to get on that. Your company might be suffering because of it and you might not know. What is it, like 74% of people that are searching are actually on their phones? 74%, like you really need to make sure that it is responsive for these people because otherwise you can't be scrolling sideways or trying to like minimize a screen. It's just, it's not gonna be a good experience and we're all about improving people's experience. 
I don't even have a computer in my house besides the work computer. So if I'm looking for a website, I'm usually on my phone. So I would be part of that stat where I'm only on my phone looking at different sites. Well, then one of the things you pulled to Paige was saying that like 40% of people will leave a website if it takes more than three seconds to load. I'm one of those people. If it doesn't load fast enough, I immediately am hitting like the refresh button. I'm like clicking and clicking and clicking and then it just takes longer. And then I finally will just leave because I'm like, I'm annoyed and it didn't work the way it was supposed to. So now that we've dove into a little bit of the data, it, we can probably start talking about where do you start? because redesigning a website can really feel like a daunting task if you don't know how to break it down and focus on some specific things first. It's also, oh, it's also an expensive project. Like building a website, unless you can do it on your own, is not always cheap, especially if you're hiring a firm or an agency. So don't worry, we broke it down. And looking at step number one, we said there's 10. So step number one is assigning a project leader. Um, so assign one person that can be in charge of that project from start to finish because a website is a full project that will probably take you a good chunk of to complete. Um, and that person can be the one that assigns tasks to other individuals because delegation is going to be a huge part of this process as well because you have copy, you have design, you have experience, you have testing, you have all these different things that go into it that it's not going to be just this one person tackling the project unless you are a team of one then it might be, and I would also recommend finding some freelancers if that's the case. So having one person in charge really helps avoid confusion and miscommunication. We've had a few uh, website projects that communication was a big challenge for us. Maybe not necessarily due to our end of things, but picking who you work with is another big aspect that you will want to take time to vet out. Make sure that you jive with the person who's building your site if you're not building it yourself and make sure that one person is checking off all the tasks and keeping everything going um, and that everybody's uh, being held accountable to what they are responsible for. And this is my job usually, uh, Paige, I'm a designer, and I would recommend having a designer in charge of this process if available. And if you guys have a designer on staff, um, because it was actually a huge benefit for us because I was able to kind of make sure all the content things were ready to go. My team reviewed them, but then I was also able to look at the design stuff because that does take a lot of time. And design means layout, that means imagery, videos, placement of buttons, like the most minuscule things. You really have to look at all the details. So one person having all that checked off, super helpful. Number two is choosing a timeline. When do you need or want to relaunch your website? Is there a deadline, specific date? Is there an event that you're kind of needing this to go off by? You really need to be realistic if you can hit that deadline. Because let's be honest, a redesign can take a lot of time. And I think in the past, we've seen that it can take three months minimum, but all the way up to nine. One of our websites actually took us nine months to complete because we had those miscommunication things like we had said. We were working with an outside firm and there's just a lot of like headaches that were involved. Well, and I think too, like you can have goals of like when you want to launch, but if you need something sooner, you can always create a skinny version or like you can do a phase one and a phase two. We've done this with websites where we said, well, we need to hit a certain deadline for a specific event. What is our minimum viable product that we can get out there? What does it have to have? And then what are the more nice to haves that we can build out afterwards? So you can definitely break it down in phases if your timeline is too tight to get, you know, an entire site up. 
I actually really like the two-phase or even like three-phase approach. I feel like that's helpful for not um, allowing external factors to delay your timeline. Like a lot of times if you're waiting on feedback from people like outside of your department, like just to say like, hey, here's the website, like do you like it and things like that. Like there that might not be as much of a priority to them as it is to you and a lot of times if you like let too many people get involved too quickly it can delay your timeline so i've liked in the past when we've done it like hey here is the website this is phase one if you have any feedback or additional things you'd like added let me know and then you can add it into phase two that way it gives you time to plan it out you already have your site live it's not getting delayed and then it gives you a timeline to tell them. Otherwise, I feel like you might get stuck doing a bunch of on-demand updates and people aren't constantly waiting like, hey, I sent you this update and I don't see it on the website yet. It, I feel like it makes everyone um, a little bit happier. And when you're picking your deadline, you need to think about the time of year that you can commit to that extra work. Um, even if you're hiring an outside firm, there will be work to do on your part. At a minimum, you'll have to provide feedback and review content. We typically recommend choosing whatever you call your slow season to start the process because a website's a big time suck. Um, if you choose a time where you can't fully commit, it's probably gonna make the project drag out even longer than necessary. At best, a new website will take about a month to complete and that's a pretty speedy timeline, um, but it can take up to five months if you're developing it from scratch and depending on what your approval process might be. If you listen to our episode about, episode about offsites and goal setting, which see episode six if you haven't, you'll need to create a goal or a rock around building and redesigning your website. Otherwise, it's probably not going to get done. Sometimes, I mean, that it could take the full quarter, three months, but it could take multiple quarters in order to finish it. And you have to make sure that it's a priority at that point in time. Whoever's owning that on your team, you have to realize it's going to take up the majority of their time for whatever your your quarter or like trimester, however your company organizes that time. But like they aren't going to be take be able to take on a bunch of other projects during that time. A good example of this is I've been working with someone on a freelance side to get a logo off the ground and they needed the logo, but it wasn't actually a great time for them. They had competing factors with an event that they were hosting. So both of those are big time sucks. So that one's actually on hold for a couple of months until they can actually reallocate their time and focus on it. So definitely make sure you have the time set aside. And another big one is setting your budget because your budget is huge. You do not want to go over budget if you don't have to. And you really want to sit down and figure out how much you want to spend because custom development work, Charlotte was saying earlier, can be very expensive and it can cost upwards of what, $20,000, $30,000? What did we end up spending on our first one, Charlotte? Oh, tons of money, guys. Like our initial website. So just a little bit of context. When I joined our company, we were working on our website redesign. When Paige joined, we were working on a website redesign. Like we've done multiple of these and some of them have been tens of thousands of dollars. They've been very expensive. So if you want to go that custom development route, just know that you're going to be looking at a pretty penny. Um, but there are a lot of lower cost options. You can use website builders like Squarespace or Wix or uh, WordPress, and you're looking at paying for your hosting and then design or copywriting or whatever it is that you're looking to 
or freelancer outsource. And we're honestly happier with the cheaper option, like the WordPress option, the one that we spent the most money on, I think we were the least satisfied with. And maybe we're just like very particular people with the way we like things done. But um, I, I think that I've heard Paige say multiple times that WordPress was just super easy to work with and they have plugins for everything. And it was one of our lower cost items and it, we're very happy with it. Part of the problem there was we had to deal with an outside firm. And so there was a lot of communication gaps there and going back and forth and translating our voice and how we wanted to speak. And I just think they didn't get us and we didn't get them, unfortunately. And that also cost you a lot more money in the end, because I think we ended up rewriting a lot of the content ourselves or hiring someone else to kind of tweak it, which means we spent probably double the money on content than we probably needed to. So we're going to have a future episode where we talk about how to hire a website firm. But for now, here are some of our tips on how to avoid like extra fees and what to watch out for when you're doing custom development. It's really important to make sure you review the contract. Like all that fine print will really come back to you if you don't pay attention. See what extra costs there are and what all is included in the price. Sometimes development firms like to nickel and dime you um, for changes. So know that ahead of time and be prepared. And then look into the maintenance fees. After you've launched, this is really important. You don't want to have this beautiful website that you can't edit or update or change without it costing you an arm and a leg. I think that's one of the biggest pieces of doing it yourself versus the custom development is that flexibility to make updates when you want to make updates and do it easily without it taking a lot of time. I mean, we basically just, when we need changes, we send them over to Paige and we're like, hey, Paige, make these changes. And she's able to do it within minutes versus having to send it over to someone working at a firm or agency who's going to charge us for those changes. And then in addition, may not even get it right because they might be more significant where we want our designer's eye or our approach or our style. I've actually, with my freelance staff, I've done a lot of website redesigns and the majority of the larger firms tend to go with more of the custom development or WordPress route versus the smaller businesses that I've done are trying to do those drag and drop really nice, easy to use features that can do something with like a Squarespace, Weebly, Wix type of environment. So there's a big cost difference between some of those and just try and figure out what works for you guys, what you can able to afford and what is realistic after it's actually launched. So now that we kind of like dove in a little bit on that, we'll go into four and that is selecting a website platform. So before you do any of the designing, you're gonna to wanna to figure out if you're working on it in-house or hiring a firm, because do you have the time to have it in-house? Do you have a designer or developer who can work on it? Those types of questions need to be answered. So we've done both in the past, and since I've been on board, we actually brought it in-house, and we did mention it a little bit. It's been a pretty easy. Um, with it in-house because we just understand the process a little bit more and the edits are seeming to be a lot quicker and less expensive, to be honest. Yeah, well, go for it, Well, one caveat I wanna throw in there, Paige, is you were mentioning WordPress. WordPress can be really simple if you use a good theme. And I think your themes are what matter if you go the WordPress route because unfortunately a lot of firms do build custom on top of WordPress in a way that's not super user-friendly but WordPress can be that user-friendly tool if you pick a good theme. 
Um, so WordPress can fall right in with some of those common website builders such as Squarespace, Wix, GoDaddy, Weebly, etc. They aren't fully custom, but they offer so several templates and those templates are what are going to make it really easy for you to work off of and use different themes and customize your fonts, your colors and all of your imagery. And then a lot of them are drag and drops. So in that sense, you don't need someone like a page maybe to build it for you. You can pick your images and you know put those where you need them to be. I would recommend having a designer at least look over it because imagery selection is really important and color schemes and how things fit together is really important. So I would still recommend having a designer um, look that over just to make sure everything looks cohesive if you are choosing to do it yourself with a drag and drop. For sure, Charlotte. If you're not doing those drag and drop type of ones, another one that we really love and kind of you know stand behind is WordPress. Because Charlotte said earlier, they have great themes that are super easy to use if you just kind of learn the back end a little bit. So there's a lot of tutorials that you can kind of look at and try, try and get better at it as you go. Um, but a lot of the top 10 million plus uh, companies actually use WordPress because it is super good for integrations and plugins. It's one of the best. Um, people are always updating it. And my thing is SEO. It's literally built for SEO. And that's pretty much how people get to your site. So it's really important. We obviously love WordPress, but, and this might be a silly question, does WordPress have built-in security? Or is that only something for like Wix or Weebly or Squarespace or something like that? Because I think Charlotte, you might have a story about this or you've maybe gotten bit by this before. I can't really remember. This is whole territory that I just don't even know. Yep, I've totally been bit by that before. I was like, I'm going to do a WordPress site because that's the best option. That's what I know how to use. And it's super easy and blah, blah, blah. And I built the site and I didn't realize that when we use it for the company, it's inherently protected by like our firewalls and our networks. Whereas if you're building it on your own and you don't have those things in place, you are open to attacks to the point where I actually my shut down because it had been hacked and like all sorts of stuff. So if you do go the WordPress route, you will need to find um, a company like SiteLock or something additional where you'll pay a monthly fee or an annual or like an annual fee to have your site protected. Um, so that is an additional cost that you'll need to take in consideration if you go that route. Good to know. Security is a really big factor for this. Um, so you just have to kind of weigh those pros and cons with those two. I think they're both really great um, options for you if you're re redesigning a website. If you do want to go to the custom development route, we are not ones to say no. Um, we have just done it in the past and haven't had the best experience, but we don't want to hinder anyone else trying this for their own company because it is a really good way to have a completely custom site because you don't want to look like every other Joe Schmo out there and some of these actually can really help you. So we've reviewed all the options for the types. So now we're actually going to go into number five, and that is reviewing your current website. And this is a step that a lot of people do skip. Uh, reviewing your site is super important because not only from a content standpoint, but as a design standpoint as well. Uh, it's pretty crucial, actually. You want to know what you like about your current site, what you don't like. Is it mobile responsive? Do you need to make it mobile responsive? Is it converting sales? Are you having any people filling out your forms? Um, those are a lot of questions that you probably should look into and see if your website is actually responsible for those in a positive way or a negative Listen. way. 
Yeah, and essentially reviewing your current website is a really simple way for you to start building out your criteria and your goals for your website because you're identifying what's currently there that you like, what's missing, and what it, and how does that become a requirement for your new site. So it's really a good way to start building out those requirements for yourself or whoever is building your site, and it helps you articulate what you're looking for. And I think the goal setting piece is important too. Like, what are what is your site there to accomplish? Is it lead generation? Is it brand awareness? You know, what is it that, what are its primary functions? And then it's secondary functions and tertiary functions, because then you can start to prioritize where you need to spend your time. Another good thing to try and look at is if you have competitors in your space, I recommend looking at theirs and researching what they're doing because you don't want to copy them, obviously, but you might want to look at what they're doing well and then what things that you can compete against them on and improve your site because they might have a similar market and similar um, value prop that you kind of want to make sure that you're either doing better or similar. And we actually did this with one of our last website redesigns. We kind of looked at the, the market, made sure that we were on track, and we pulled some data about what people were actually searching. And that's how we decided what we were going to redesign. We figured out what was important to everyone, what they were reading, and we kind of made that the prominent feature on the site. So that is something I really highly recommend before getting into design. It I don't think it was this last time we did the website, but maybe the time before that or the time before that. I'm not really sure. But one of the times we redid the website in the past five years, um, when we were looking at this data of what people were searching for the company that we work for, a lot of the search engine um, like things that people were typing into Google, a lot of the things that were coming up was just asking what we do. So we were realizing that it wasn't clear on our website, like what what we provide, like what kind, and it's harder for us to explain that because we offer more of a whole solution rather than a specific product. But people that we were targeting as prospects didn't understand what we do. And sometimes we still run into that a little bit, but that was one of our big goals for the website to accomplish was we want people to understand what value we are providing. Um, so I definitely agree that that information, um, that that data that people, what they're searching is important to know before you dive into investing a bunch of time and money into a new website. All about that data, about that data, about that data. <laughs> I was gonna say, we bought another company um, and so when you buy another company you kind of you don't know how they're getting traffic to their site um, is it direct is it a search engine is it social media other they typically call that a refer and so i think when you first started doing this katie and Paige, didn't you find a company called crazy egg that allowed us to start um, to get a little bit of data and information on where people were clicking on the website and then you also inserted data analytics um, to help understand where people were going and searching and how they were actually getting to the site so without having any of that it made it really hard to know how to go about redesigning a website that we weren't even familiar with I freaking love Crazy Egg. It's a lot of data all in one place. You're able to see where people are clicking, where they're scrolling, where they're spending their mo the most time on your site. We actually found out that people do not scroll. You would think that's the opposite based on the trends of the one page website, but people would literally scroll to the bottom of the first header, click on a few things, and then be gone. 
So we actually decided based on that information to completely redesign what we were thinking from the first point. We decided to do more things in like the navigation menu and having more things to click out to more buttons, um, just a lot of more call to actions, essentially. And I'm actually going to take that and I'm going to transition us into number six, which is understanding your audience. Because Paige, as you were saying, when you, that was our instance, and our audience could be completely different than somebody else's audience. So you need to know what your audience is doing and how they behave and what's important to them, because that's going to be crucial to how you develop your site, because what works for us might not work for you. So really looking at that data and using something like Crazy Egg is going to be important because understanding your audience is the it's all encompassing. It's how they behave. What type of verbiage do they use? Uh, what type of imagery will resonate with them? What terminology or special nomenclature do they have when talking about their industry or their work? So it's really important to speak their language and make sure that you're doing that. And it's speaking the language of imagery, color, fonts, brand, everything, not just words. Yeah, you really don't want to assume with those things if you can help it, because that would be a lot of time and money wasted. So really understanding your audience and knowing what they want in a website will essentially, I mean, it's going to help you for sure, because people are going to stay on your site longer. They're going to click on more things and they might actually fill out a demo or a contact us, that type of thing. And don't be afraid to give it some personality. I feel like so much like content is written very monotone or very, just very formal. I think writing it and I mean, don't write it in the sense that it's so casual that it's not accurate or right, but definitely talk to them with some personality and some personalization, I guess would be the right way to say it. Be a human being. Make them know that there's somebody who's a person behind the screen. Being human is so important. It's nice to know that there's someone sitting behind that screen that's there willing and wanting to help you. That's a great point, Charlotte. And I wanted to bring up one more thing for um, this section for understanding your audience. Going back to the event that we attended in February called Create and Cultivate, we have a whole web or we have a whole um, episode about it. So if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and um, transition back there. But one of the sessions that I attended was about culture. So imagery, this is something that Paige can probably talk more to since it falls in her wheelhouse. But when you're thinking about imagery for your new website, um, we went to a session and there was a panel and it was women of all different cultures there. And they were saying that if they do not see themselves represented on your website or even as an employee of your company, that they'll be less likely to engage with your brand and become a partner. So that was something that was really important to them. And as a designer, I know that's something that Paige is very tasteful about when designing everything on our website and even to collateral. Make sure that your audience is represented on your site. Imagery takes a lot longer than people think. I can seriously find so many times where I am just scrolling through our subscription um, iStock, which I definitely recommend, but you can scroll through for hours just trying to find the right photo because you want to make sure it hits on all levels of what you're trying to communicate. Because if you have all white males in there and you're speaking to a organization that are women, that's gonna really push them aside. They're not gonna see themselves reflected in that. So it is a very important um, decision with imagery. And 
not only stock imagery, but we actually use a lot of illustrations because it helps with our tech environment that we're in. And it kind of, it's a little more playful and fun. We can get add some color to it. So we try and have a balance of both of them on the website for sure. I don't think it's something that people like intentionally do. I think it's probably just like a mindless, I need to go in and add some pictures to my website, but it's really something that you need to invest that additional time in making sure that it's a good fit and it's accomplishing what you want. Oh, for sure. I completely agree with you, Katie. Well, and I would hope too that eventually we can get to a point where people don't even actually think about it. They're at, they're already just picking a picture that would fit everybody and encompass everybody. So it's not even like the back of their mind type deal. And I will say like, we have new clients that are coming on within our company. And I know that our stuff that we need to put out to them, it's so easy that page is so good and already at putting, you know, different images in there. So like, we don't even have to think about those things when we get new clients to switch them up and things like that. Well, and the interesting thing is too, like we actually serve organizations that are gender specific which makes it very important for that imagery, right? Because you need to find all male or all female or whatever that looks like because it plays, it it's representative of them in when we build out client-specific materials and assets. So moving on to number seven, looking at setting goals and priorities. I think we already touched on this a little bit, but it let's just maybe breeze over it again really focusing on the primary goal of your website because there's multiple different facets and multiple different goals that your site is designed to accomplish. And for you, understanding which ones are most important is going to be key in structuring your site. So are is your main goal sales? Is it getting people to schedule a demo, filling out a contact us form, or is it make getting them to make a purchase? Um, education is also a big piece of it. If you are, um, whether you, whether you have a business that you're selling, uh, where you're selling services or goods, education is usually part of it. So do you want them to watch a specific video? Do you want them to download a white paper or read a blog post? Just figuring out your priorities and what's most important to you is going to be uh, key. And also using your data to help understand that. Because if you have a specific white paper that does really, really well, well, you're going to want to put that in a high real estate, you know, area of your site versus things that aren't performing as well or blog posts that maybe don't perform as well as that specific white paper. It's really easy to get overwhelmed with this process because there is a lot of things to juggle. So priorities and setting those goals is a pretty good step to make sure you don't skip. Um, because you want to make sure is it you're wanting to update the branding? Is it that you're needing it to be mobile responsive? Are you changing markets or adding another market? Um, just needing to update content. There's a lot of things that you juggle. So making sure that you prior prioritize which ones are important will help this process a lot because otherwise you can kind of get lost and overwhelmed. And then the process might take five plus months. So to make it quick and simple, we suggest making sure to write these things down. We have this as number seven, like set goals and priorities, but it probably should be your number one. I'm not sure how we missed that, but I think making sure you know your goals before you start this whole process will allow you to monitor your progress um, and make sure you're accomplishing your goals along the way. And otherwise you're kind of building things blindly. Well, and I was going to add that I think it's also important to recognize that not only setting these goals up front will be helpful, but this should help influence your what platform you choose. 
and how you choose to build your site. Because if it, if it isn't accomplishing those goals after you launch, you want to make it really easy for you to move and shift things around and make tweaks and changes based off your data and how it's performing. Because if you're unable to easily make those changes, it's going to be really tough for you to make those small changes that get you closer to your goals. And that leads us into number eight, which is write your content first. If you don't know what your goals are, then you're not going to be able to start your content. So this can be one of your biggest bottlenecks. We've definitely had it as a big bottleneck before. Content's going to help determine how you design and lay out a page. If you don't have the content, then again, you're building blind. Um, I think when we used that firm before, they made us do the opposite. If I'm wrong, I might be wrong, Paige. You might need to correct me. But it seemed like they went and built all the framework, and then we just had to plug the content in where it might fit. And that seemed, it didn't go well. And it seemed like we kind of had to start over and massage some of the content. So I think starting with the content and then building the site to fit that is probably the better bet, or at least the way that we've done it in the future. At some point, you'll have to determine if you're going to write the content in-house or if you're going to hire a copywriter. You can always do some kind of combination or hybrid of this and write the content first and then have a copywriter clean it up. That might help you make sure that your voice and personality doesn't get lost um, as you're writing or as you're building the website content. Oh, gosh, I remember that experience when they had us write, like look at the content after they had already designed it. And we're like, how is this going to fit here? That doesn't make any sense. And it was so confusing and it was so backwards. So do not make that mistake. That was so painful. It was expensive. I feel like this reminds me of, sorry, I feel like this reminds me of, um, well, I have a baby on the brain since I just had a baby. But do you guys remember um, that like baby or little kid toy with like the, it's like a sphere in it or a a cube and it has a star that you have to like fit through the star space and like a square that you fit through the square space. It reminds me of like trying to put the wrong shape into like the wrong hole, like trying to plug the content into a design that just doesn't work. If you need a visual, that's how I think about it. (laughs) I really love that visual, Katie, because you're really forcing something that wasn't meant to be in the space. Yeah. which is exactly what we ended up having the issue of. And I think that's why we're doing this episode, to be honest, because that was a huge pain. I mean, it was very painful. We designed the entire website and then we did the content last. And so we were forcing content in space that really just didn't make sense. So when we re- redesigned the site again, we learned from that mistake and we decided to do the content first and make sure that that was not the bottleneck we were waiting for. And we kind of built it based on that. So we recommend doing that first um, because it's extremely helpful. We can't say this enough. (laughs) And some of the common pages you might want to focus on with this content is the homepage, obviously. But the more common ones are the about us, your services or products, um, an FAQ, which we actually didn't have an FAQ page until recently because we actually found some data from our data analytics where people were putting in questions and we didn't have the answer to it on our site. So we built out an FAQ page to figure those out and make sure it was answered. Uh, Another one that is really common is a blog. We definitely have blogs on our site and contact us. So focus on those first and then branch out from there if you have more specific ones. Um, And I will say like that we added the FAQ section later on because Where we work, we work with a variety of verticals, and so we weren't really sure of how to make 
a generic type version for questions that could kind of span over everybody and not get too specifics into things. So that's why it did take us a little bit of time to get into that FAQ, but we built it out nicely now where it is kind of across the board for everybody, but solves those basic questions that used to come in that really we should have put on our website earlier, but we just didn't have a nice way to do it. They were homeless. They didn't have a home. <laughs> Little questions that kept trickling in. They were their own one, one their own um, wolf pack, you know, like me. <laughs> Lone wolf. And then for your um, writing the content for your new site, this is where you want to leverage that data that we talked about back in number, I don't remember what one it was, number five. Yeah, reviewing your current website. This is where you want to bring in that data that you have spent so much time collecting and reviewing and all of that information. If you're having trouble prioritizing where, what to put on your homepage, what belongs um, on a subpage and things like that, like you, that's where you leverage the data. You look at what people are visiting most, um, what has the most clicks, what's coming up the most on, um, like for SEO, for in your search engine. So put the things that are most important to your audience, which might surprise you. What you think is most important might not be what your audience is looking for the most. So that's what should go up front and up center for that content. And then just prioritize that just down the list. And I think that's how we approached it last time we did it. And it seems to be working out pretty well. Yeah. And I think that data, like Katie's talking about, is what's really going to help you create your site map, which is number nine on here um, on our list of 10, which is create a site map and wireframes. So it's really about keeping it simple at first. Don't worry about your design. Think about the function of your website. It's how many pages do you think you need? What pages are those? And reverse that. It should be what pages do you need? And then how many pages do you have? Don't just like pick a number of pages and say we need this many. Um, but what should be included in your navigation menu? And what's the most important information? And start building out just some super simple sketches and start filling it in a little bit. What belongs where? And this can be literally squares and rectangles. Keep it simple. Keep it very um, not super visual, I guess is the right word, and start plugging in that content. Where do you think certain headers should live? You shouldn't have any verbiage in here yet. It should really just be key headers and, and subheaders even. Where do you want your buttons to go? How do you want people to interact with the site? And then where are your videos and images going to be and where are you going to plug those in later? Yeah, a lot of people don't want to do this step because they just want to jump right into design. But you almost need this map of what is your, I mean, what's the basic level of what the site will be? Where are, where are there going to be headers? Where are videos going to go? What are the big items that need to be placed? Because that's really going to help you when it comes into the next step of designing. So with that, number 10 is the last step of this process. It is the design portion. It's the stuff that everyone wants to jump in because it makes things look pretty. But we decide or we recommend to use Pinterest to actually kind of pull what designs you like because I'm a huge pinner. I constantly save pins and of design and everything. And I pulled different things that I liked from different website examples because I might have liked the navigation from one over here, but I liked the photography and typography over here and the color schemes from another one. So 
really pull those individual themes and features and figure out what you like because that'll help you in the long run when you actually jump into design because it can overwhelm you with the choices available. Also, focus on your most important pages first. Like we were talking about earlier, if you choose to take a phased approach, you might be already identifying which pages are most important because those would belong in phase one and then your, you know, the next wave of most important would be in phase two and so on and so on. But working on the home page or some of your, or your other most important pages first really helps you kind of set the tone and also help you work on your internal navigation. So where should things be linking to? How do people navigate through the site and what's their flow and journey? And having those core pages will really help you figure that out. A lot of people ask me where we get our themes from. So I thought I'd give this tip before I forget. Uh, we use this company called Envato and we have a subscription with them. And they do a lot more things than just website themes. They do a lot of imagery, stock photography, et cetera. But themes are super important to find a really good, uh, what's the best word? Foundation, starting point. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to say? Is that where you're going with yeah. this? I don't know. Flow. Um, okay, like so, website flow? Yeah, yeah. Like you really want to find a website that has a lot of depth to it because if you find a website that you really like, but it's a one page website, or there isn't a lot of like things built out, you're kind of gonna get stuck with what's available. So we found this one called the gem theme. It's our absolute favorite. I think we've reused it on a bunch of our sites. It has probably, I wanna say 50 template themes within it. So I could take things from each of the pages that I liked, pull them onto my own website and customize them. So it was a lot less heavy lifting than me having to pull a very small theme and build it from there. So I recommend looking into those types of ones and using things like Envato to pull themes and other resources too. Don't underestimate the power of buttons and call to actions or CTAs. Because like Paige was saying earlier, people do not scroll. At least that's what we're finding in our data. They don't go past the second section of our website on our homepage. They click from somewhere there and go to wherever they're going. So don't don't hide your important content at the bottom and definitely insert things as you go. Typically forms live at the bottom of pages. Find ways to insert buttons partway through the page or closer to the top. And we do have data that shows that people are click happy, meaning they will just go click on everything. It, it may not even make sense. And you're like, what are people doing? But at least you have an idea that they're at least going around and clicking and doing things, but they're not scrolling. And once you've started making some good traction on your design of your site, make sure you go out and get feedback. Get feedback from some people within your organization. Don't open up too broad because you will find that everybody has an opinion. Um, but open it up enough with a few people that make sense so that you can get a general idea of whether you're heading in the right direction or whether you need to make some tweaks. And also go ahead and send it out to some people in your industry that you might have connections with or prospects if you have relationships with people in the community. Definitely send it out because they'll give you that feedback and help you understand if what you're building is resonating or not. And you can make changes from there before you actually launch. I loved that we did that. I mean, there's no better way to validate your website or validate that you have the important information up there than hearing it from someone in your target audience. I mean, there's really nothing better than that. 
I think we redesigned an entire page based on the feedback because it was really valid. And if it wasn't making sense to them, then it was really just design. It wasn't actually the function behind it. Um, so before we jumped into key takeaways, I wanted to mention just a few more design tips um, for you guys. There's a lot of really good plugins that you should utilize, especially in WordPress. We have a lot of ones like copy and paste. It's literally called copy and paste. And you can pull different sections from pages and place them wherever you want. You can pull them and drag and drop within the tool. Don't be afraid to kind of play around because the worst thing you can do is delete it. Okay, maybe you have to rebuild it, but a lot of times you can just hit undo at the top and it'll come right back. So if you make a mistake, it's pretty flexible and you'll be just fine, I promise. Make sure that your branding is on there and it's represented because some people just decide, oh, the theme's really pretty and I'm just gonna leave it how it is. But you should definitely go in those settings and make sure that your colors are represented, your logo is in there. You can even customize typography a lot of the times because if your branding doesn't use serif font, it doesn't make sense to use it on your site. Use that sans serif, whatever you're doing. You can actually sometimes upload your actual font and it'll be on the site. So there's a lot of really great tools that you can do. Um, just Google it. We love to say Google it because if you're having an issue and you're getting stuck, someone else had that and they found a way to figure it out and fix it. So speaking of fonts, Paige, didn't you see didn't you say the other day that Canva added Comic Sans? <laughs> Um, I'm just legit gonna just make a comment about like oh, are you really? fonts? yeah we should definitely do something in Comic Sans <laughs> the death of me <sighs> I was gonna say my favorite was Papyrus back in the day right I'm uh, sure you love that font page just kidding but it, you could make like really cool looking old documents because it looked like this testament and then you'd like soak them in tea and burn the edges <laughs> favorite school project is really cool i say kill me because it is like the absolute no-no for designers of course Sarah was <laughs> thing to do project of like tea staining something from the girl who had to make her parents go and collect all the the leaves from different <laughs> trees i was really into it well you guys may have played around with papyrus and comic sans but i was the child that was sitting there looking at or thinking about how cool wingdings was <laughs> that was my favorite the other day i hit the wrong button on my computer and it turned my text into wingdings and i was like help <laughs> it was like typing messages and wingdings and i was like this is not gonna work i don't know what i did that's so horrible i'm so sorry that happened to you <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I guess that's a sign that maybe we should jump into key takeaways. We covered a lot here today, and we probably covered a couple things a few times. But if you get anything out of this, we really want you to, number one, we recommend redesigning your website every three to five years. Keep it fresh, keep it updated, and keep it new because people can really tell when a site is outdated. Number two, assign one person to be in charge of your website project from start to finish. If you get too many cooks in the kitchen or people are unsure of their roles and responsibilities, you're going to have a mess on your hands. You really want to keep it simple and have one person who has oversight to everything and can delegate and manage roles and responsibilities. If you're hiring an outside firm, make sure that you look at the small print for extra fees. Also, you want to make sure that you're writing your content first. Trust us, it's going to save you time and lots of money. And like we said before, people don't scroll 
Instead, make sure you're using buttons and call to actions to help visitors navigate your site and figure out where to go and how to find what they're looking for. And uh, we're on number six, by the way. So work on your homepage first and then move on to designing the pages in your navigation menu because that homepage is going to be, I mean, it's called the homepage for a reason. It's your home base of where people go to get to the rest of your site and figure out how to find what they're looking for. Number seven, before you actually launch it, do a soft launch just to receive feedback from trusted advisors. Again, this could be inside your company or just maybe somebody that you know inside the industry, just to get some feedback before you actually do your full launch. And then finally, number eight, look into some tools that are going to help make your redesign a breeze. We personally really enjoy Envato and Crazy Egg. Um, as you probably heard Paige mention this before. Um, so she really enjoys those if you want to look into those tools. Throughout, we also mentioned data analytics and iStock as well, in case you need to look into yeah. those. And I do want to apologize for anybody if they have Megan Trainers all about that bass song stuck in their head. But after we kept mentioning data so much, I had to just make the little remix. So if anybody wants to just play along with that later on, I had it in my head. So I wanted to share that with everybody else to get it stuck in their heads. Callie is also available for hire for personal jingles. <laughs> yeah, you might want to get somebody to actually sing it, but I could write it for you. <laughs> All right, well, we've hit jingles, so I would say it's probably time to say thank you for listening. We hope you really liked this episode, and if you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it with any coworkers, friends, family, acquaintances, enemies, etc. And we'd also be very grateful if you could rate and review and subscribe to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast on Spotify, Podbean, Apple, or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. But those are the four that we're on. So maybe not wherever you're, you get your podcasts. So all of those things help us a lot in ranking the show, and it would be greatly appreciated. And so if you have any comments or questions, don't forget that you can always email us your thoughts and feedback at wineandwhiteboards at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whiteboards Podcast. And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips. Cheers! Cheers.